Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. When a person feels threatened, whether that be physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, there will be a response inside of them. This will happen. It doesn't matter what age, even a young baby recognizes danger and their system responds. Now that baby's response is very reactive, crying, screaming, even being inconsolable. They need outside sources of calm in order to help them regulate. We hold them, we soothe them, we feed them and such. But as a child grows, they build ways of dealing with these perceived threats. And these ways can be very self-regulated responses, giving room for a healthy handling of the situation, or they can be dysregulated reactions, filled with survival skills and coping mechanisms. Mechanisms that do not address the problem, but rather just distract or shield oneself from the threat. In other words, do children build healthy, self-soothing skills or not? How do we teach these? How do we encourage these? Is it ever too late for these to be learned and developed? And how do we do it when we're dealing with a covert narcissistic parent in their world? I'm Renee Swanson, your host of the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm doing a little series right now on how to help our kids. And I've asked for questions that you want me to answer on here. And those questions have been coming in. I've been overwhelmed by them, but I'm so happy to read them. And I want to thank you. Thank you for sending them in by email, by Facebook messages. I've been getting these. I will start addressing these questions next week. Now, it is quite common for children of a narcissistic parent to form reactive coping mechanisms and not healthy self-regulation skills especially if you, the other parent, are overwhelmed with the situation you're living in. Maybe you're unaware of what's going on or have been unaware, you know, maybe up till now. Maybe you're drowning in your own attempts to make peace with this other parent, walking on eggshells, lost in your own world of coping reactions. If you are not living and exhibiting healthy self-regulating skills, how will your kids ever be able to find that? These kids need the positive influence of a parent with healthy responses. And I'm going to talk about that throughout this episode. So what shows up in the kids of a narcissistic parent? These children experience the feeling of threat on a regular basis, a daily basis. It's a verbal, emotional, psychological threat. Maybe they come to talk to the parent, you know, just to, to say hi or to greet their parent or to, to ask them a question. And the parent's response is, well, what? A real sharp answer. What do you want? The sharp, aggressive tongue of a covert narcissistic parent is threatening to a child. That child now feels worthless or they feel like they're in trouble. Maybe an excited child runs to this parent to share a recognition that they got at school that day. And they're met with, why are you being so loud? Stop yelling and quiet your feet down. Act like a normal person. The very core of this child is threatened. Not only do they not feel loved, they actually feel attacked. And they feel blamed. They are threatened by this parent. Now, add to that, they also now become threatened by themselves. I'm a bad person. It's an internal threat that can haunt these kids for years even a lifetime. When we experience threat, 
we also experience a physiological response. Tense muscles, tightening in the chest, shallow breathing, an increased heart rate, the inability to focus, an upset stomach, and so on. This is that fight or flight response that I've talked about before, and it's quite useful if you're being threatened by a bear, but not in your regular interactions with your parent. This causes massive anxiety. And when this happens over and over with no clear resolution in sight and no, you know, healthy self-regulation skills in the child, it leads to chronic anxiety. This takes its toll physically as well as mentally, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. Now, when we talk about emotional abuse, we often distinguish this from physical abuse. But I had somebody point out to me just here recently, do you really think that emotional abuse is not physical? And I stopped and went, oh my gosh, I haven't thought of it that way. The response that we have to this emotional abuse is, is extremely physical. It's so damaging. It's just on the inside. So actually it is a type of physical abuse. In early life, children do not have the ability to self-regulate. Okay, I talked about the you know babies, a baby crying, and they don't have the ability to self-soothe. They need that help from you, their parent. And so they're very vulnerable to being filled with, with these perceived threats, you know, as they grow into the young childhood ages. And they're very vulnerable to being filled with shame and self-blame. They have no ability to see the behavior of that narcissistic parent for what it is. They can't put the responsibility where it belongs. And so instead, they turn the blame on themselves over and over. This lack of self-regulation that they have causes this anxiety to show up in very unhealthy ways. These are reactive coping mechanisms. Okay, these kids start acting out and people can think that the child's just being a problem. They're being rebellious. When I see that in a child, I immediately wonder what's going on in their home. These are survival-based. And I want to look at four of the ways that these coping mechanisms show up in our kids. Distractions, internalizing patterns, externalizing patterns, and even narcissistic behavior. So let's start with the first one, distractions. Distractibility is when someone turns to something outside of themselves in order to completely avoid what is going on in their world. They distract themselves from having to think about what's going on or from having to feel. It's a distraction from my feelings. I don't like how I feel. I don't like what's going on in my world. And so I'm going to put my attention on something else. In essence, they don't want to think about reality. So they check out. Losing themselves in gaming, reading, socializing, playing a sport, attending you know, youth group activities, even extracurricular unhealthy activities turning to drinking, drugs, and sex. Another way that this plays out with kids, you know, in covert narcissistic homes is through internalizing patterns. This is extremely self-focused and it encompasses all the self-blame. It often shows up as aggressive, negative self-talk. I'm a failure. I'm worthless. No one could ever love me. I don't matter. And the world is better off without me. This plays out as self-harm. It can be disordered eating. It can be cutting and even suicidal ideation. External patterns. 
It's very similar, but instead of playing out more internally, like the, the internalizing patterns and inward focused, it's outward focused. So this is where the substance abuse shows up. Sexual risk-taking, rebellious behavior, these angry outbursts that just don't match the stimuli of whatever you know, triggers it. Yelling, cursing, even physical aggression. All of this is the external pattern. And the last category of coping mechanisms is the onset of narcissistic behavior. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to be a narcissist in adulthood, okay? But the behaviors are often there in adolescence, especially if you're dealing with a narcissistic parent. And this includes lack of empathy, superiority, oppositionalism, gaslighting, a false sense of entitlement, the inability to validate anyone outside of themselves, and even self-victimization. It's this front, the same thing that we talk about with all the narcissistic behavior, this wall between me and the world. And along with this, they can easily find themselves in relationships that are toxic. You know, even friendships or relationships that repeat the pattern of narcissistic behavior that they've been experiencing within the home. So what in the world do we do about this? We have to start teaching our kids emotional self-regulation skills. These don't seem to be taught often enough in our world, and we're paying the price for that right now. We focus on academics, or we teach them how to play various sports. We even you know, encourage religious education. But we do not teach healthy emotional skills often enough. We don't teach kids how to self-regulate as a society. Maybe could this be perhaps, you know, a lot of adults don't know how to do it themselves. So start there. Absolutely start with yourself. It is certainly time to change all of this. In fact, it's past time. So what do healthy, emotional, self-regulation skills look like? Well, let's start with the self-regulation part. What is it? It's the ability to manage your own emotions and your behavior, your reactions, in whatever situation you find yourself in. It's the ability to monitor your emotions. You discover that you're angry, you realize you're angry, so you can self-reflect and, and identify that you're angry, and then decide what you want to do with that anger. It's the ability to be able to control that anger. Maybe I have to soothe myself in the given situation so that I don't say something I shouldn't or do something I shouldn't, but it's that ability to self-regulate those emotions and then thus to be able to function in your world. Being self-regulated means that you can resist highly charged reactions, catching yourself, stopping your reactions. It means that you have the ability to calm yourself down when you're upset. It means you're able to handle frustrations and changes in expectations. It means you're able to stay on track even when things go awry in your world. This does not describe a narcissistic person. On the contrary, they have highly charged reactions. They have no ability to calm themselves or to handle frustrations. There's a complete inability to handle changes in expectations or when things go awry in their world. In essence, they have no resiliency. And in this way, they are just like a child that has not yet learned to function in the real world. We need to teach our kids how to self-regulate their own emotions and their emotional reactions to life. So here's some ideas on how to start teaching this to your children. Identify the emotional needs of oneself and others. This is a skill that we need to teach. So how do we do it? We encourage conversations about emotions. I'll give you a simple way to do this. When you have a young child 
and you're watching a show or you're reading a book, ask things such as, well, how do you think that character feels? When you do this, you are allowing them to think about somebody outside of them, relate to that person, that character in a safe environment, and maybe identify their feelings. You know, you might ask them, well, when they did this, then how do you think that made them feel? Or when this changed, how did that change their feelings? This exercise helps them to consider the feelings of someone outside of them, and it also helps them to create the verbiage around emotional conversation. It gives them the comfort and safety to talk about emotions in a world where a lot of that is not safe. Relating to how a character feels is a great way to get this started. As you're doing this, you need to accept any feelings that your child answers. If they answer something that you're not expecting, you know, you're expecting maybe the character is upset and they're saying, well, I think that character feels great, whatever. I don't, whatever they say, don't communicate that any feelings here are wrong. If they surprise you with their answer, then just say something like, wow, I didn't think of that. Tell me more. You're seeing something that I don't see and I would love to know more. Can you describe it further? Help them to have confidence in their perspective. Another way is to start including emotional language into your regular interactions. Instead of asking, hey, how did your test go at school today? Ask instead, how do you feel about, you know, after you took that test today? How do you feel? If your child is describing something that happened to them that day at school, make it a practice to say, well, how did that make you feel? Or what feelings did that create in you? Or were you okay with the feelings that this caused? Let your language, let your interactions with them start being more encompassing to their emotions that's going on. How it made them feel is often far more important than what actually happened. Make time and space for these emotional conversations. I cannot express enough how important it is to listen to your kids. And I, I can tell you right now, I was guilty of being that busy and distracted mom for way too much of my time as a parent until I finally realized it one day and got my eyes open to it and went, I have to change this right now. And it's the best thing I ever did for my kids. You know, they're often expressing their emotions, but busy and distracted parents don't even hear them. Or maybe as parents, we already have an expected answer in mind and we're so busy in our mind that we don't listen to what they're actually saying. I'll give you an example. One day, my husband and I and our younger son were out taking the dog for a walk. And my husband was always complaining to me about how he could never connect to the kids. And I tried, of course, every way possible to help him to understand why or what I saw, at least. Well, we're walking our dog and my husband, you know, says to our son, uh, hey, what are you studying in school right now? And our son gives this huge sigh and says, oh, everything. And he starts to continue talking. But before he could even get another word out of his mouth, his father, my husband, says, well, can't I ever get a straight answer out of you? And gets real snippy with him because the answer wasn't in the format that he expected. Of course, this shut my son down. He was done. He wasn't going to say anything else. And he clammed up. What my husband didn't hear was in his own answer, that huge sigh and saying everything is that my son is overwhelmed with his schoolwork right now. He's feeling like they are studying everything, that we've got you know, all this going on from all these different directions. But my husband was so wrapped up in his mind, he couldn't hear that. 
Make space inside of you for your kids to answer. In your own head, make that space that gives room for their answer, for what they are communicating to you. In addition, be present to your own emotions and those of others. You have to be on this journey. I've expressed that over and over in my podcast. Check in often with your own emotions. How did this make me feel? Am I at peace with this feeling? What can I do to soothe this upset feeling? If you are not on this journey yourself, you cannot possibly teach it to your kids in an effective way. Maintain your own sense of calm. Kids truly benefit from a caregiver who approaches their impulsive and reactive behavior calmly. Giving that child space to settle themselves down. From your non-reactiveness, they feed off of that. They feed off of that calm energy and they begin to soothe themselves, which is the goal in the first place. But in order to have that space for them to learn to self-soothe, they need non-judgmental and non-emotional interactions from you. And by the way, these calm interactions, they're good for your soul too. So resist your own impulsiveness Practice your own self-regulation. You can't teach a child to control their impulsiveness by your impulsive actions. You can't teach them to relax and reflect when you are all emotionally charged and fired up. Self-soothing skills. These are necessary for you and your kids. I'm going to give you a couple more here real quick that are specific for your kids. Don't fix everything for them. Don't instantly jump in to solve their problems or to help settle them down. This does not give them opportunities to learn and develop these skills. If they were working on simple math homework problems, you wouldn't just sit there and give them all the answers. They need time to work it out on their own, right? The same is true for their emotional struggles too. Don't just give them all the answers. Give them the safe space, okay, and help them find their own answers. Let Give them the space to learn this. The goal is not to avoid tough situations, but rather to coach them through the tough situations. Be there for them and with them, offering your support and care. I encourage you to think of these skills as ones to be taught and learned. It isn't just something that we're born with or not. There is an element of that. Some people are born you know, with more math skills and less English skills, while others are the other way around. Some are born with more physical skills and less emotional skills and vice versa. But even if you're born with math skills or athletic skills, you still develop them. Add emotional skills to the list as you are working with your child. Don't expect it to be perfect or to somehow magically be something they already know how to do. And while you are at it, keep working on your own emotional growth as well. This is a journey of a lifetime, and I wish you so much peace on that journey of healing. You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host, Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www.covertnarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Those letters are CNG as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.